Happy Tuesday, everyone. I am here at WSQF 94.5 Blink Radio Station. I'm super excited because we have a special uh, guest here today, Jake Cortez. Hi, Jake. How are you? Doing fantastic. Happy to be here. I know. I, I love I, I love how how fast we move. You know, uh-huh. we, we met like a, like a week ago, and <laughs> we've already had like five, six different meetings. We've done filmings. We've done interviews. Um, and now you're going to be one of the moderators for the next Epic Talks. So I'm excited Super to have excited. you on stage. Very cool. Totally epic, like you would say. <laughs> exactly. Totally epic. So, Jake, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you got amazing things going on. You got the MetaV Group. You know, you got the Bitcoin uh, safe house. You have some real estate investments going on. Yeah, I, 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 cannot, tell, I cannot say this enough. I don't believe that there's been a more exciting time to be alive. Like mm-hmm. right now, with the access to technology that allows us the ability to connect in really fun and cool ways... Um, it has allowed me the ability to, you know, even put real estate deals together. I was telling her in the car, I've actually never raised not one dollar in my life. And with the last year through two real estate deals, I've been able to raise five point one million dollars, which I mean, I have a background in sales, but without me. How were you able to do that? Like, what what were the steps? You know, because if 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 I were to try to think here, like, how am I going to raise five point one million dollars? What does that even look like? Where do you even start? Well, thankfully, I mean, I have a my network is full of entrepreneurs, investors, philanthropists, and so most of these people are already investing in some asset class. You know, so it's just a matter of getting the deal in front of enough people. Uh, the first deal in order for me to have raised 1.1 million on that deal i had to show it to about 125 people Mm. so uh, and on the on the third deal that i that i raised uh the four million on i had to show it to about 100 people as well so and and how did you structure that like what do you what what were the steps that you had to take like what did you have to show them what research did you have to do like how long how much time did it take you it was it was it, it, it was relatively easy just due to a series of factors. One the location of the product. Well, a lot of a lot of people say for real estate location location location, uh-huh. which yes, I get that, but timing, timing, timing. Mm-hmm. Because right now it's almost like all of the United States wants to be in Florida. You know, most most of the United States, especially if you're coming from California or New York, where your freedoms are being restricted or infringed upon, everybody wants to be in Florida. So between the time that me and my business partner put the deal under contract to when we finally closed, we, we saw the value of that land increase easily by 10 to 15%. So this is, these are additional monies that the, the investors will make. The deal structure is set up in a way where the investors will see the, their money back before me and my business partner make any money, which I actually like it being set up that way because if I was the investor that's how I would like it set up so just deal structure is is probably one of the most important things the location Mm -hmm. it was in a really good area it's in the panhandle it's in a different time zone but it's still here in Florida so people from the Midwest who don't want to necessarily come down to Miami or Fort Lauderdale and that's not their speed but they still want the luxuries of being in a state where the governor is actually you know sticking up for their people they they would move to a place like, you know, Crestview, Florida. 
Cool. Yeah. And a, and a bunch of different states are there as well. So oh, exactly. up in the panhandle, you have more access to more states. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And when did you decide that, you know, you wanted to become an entrepreneur? So, uh, you know, the 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 entrepreneur uh, mode when was of he thinking. Born? Yeah. <laughs> so I became an entrepreneur in 2015. Um, working for people, I, I've always had. I've always had somewhat of a rebel mentality mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, knowing what I'm capable of in terms of driving revenue. Mm -hmm. Like I've been in the sales space for two decades now, a little over two decades, and I know my capabilities. Mm -hmm. Now I've ran in a, a series of situations where I was making money for somebody I, I didn't respect, like some of their, their ethics and their morals was, was not in line with how I would live my life. And then um, I was dealing with something called cognitive dissonance, you know, like mm -hmm. where your actions and your beliefs are in conflict. So waking up in the morning to go do my job was, wasn't really fun mm -hmm. because now here I am making an income, but I'm also m making driving revenue into a business, you know, with an owner that I, I don't necessarily agree with with all of their practice. Not that they were doing anything illegal. It was just. Um, you didn't you, have the same vision. I didn't have the same vision, and I would have took took care of the clients better. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So um, I know you've I know a little bit about your past, and um, you know sometimes a lot of people talk alike about their successes, but they don't they don't talk about you know the path that took them there, you know. And um, you know you've gone through a lot of adversity in your life, so I'd love for you to share a little bit and maybe touch someone's heart today with with that story. Yes. <clears throat> I'm glad you brought that up. Um, thankfully, I can share this with without in an emotional charge. But before the age of 18, I was in two rehabs. Um, I was addicted to some pretty heavy drugs. Um, and six months into my 18th birthday, I was on my way to prison. Mm. Um, what led to that, now looking back, hindsight is 2020, right? Mm -hmm. Is at 11 years old. And this is, I'm not going to say that this was the entire catalyst, but this was a very pivotal moment in my life. My father sat me down on the couch. He's like, Jake, it's not working out. Me and your mom, we're going separate ways. You're now the man. He used these exact words. You're now the man of the house. And he left the next day. So I was initially confused, which then turned to anger, which then turned to resentment, mm. which then turned to like hatred like a deep, insidious, dark emotion. And everything started to uh, center itself around that. I started to listen to music that was that had that type of energy that would awaken this, you know, this anger in me mm -hmm. and started hanging around people that <clears throat> could relate. Um, so between the ages of 11 and 22, I got into e enough trouble to go go to prison for seven and a half years. Mm. Yeah. So, um, my first incident, I was 18 years old. I quit my job at Eckerd's, which is now CVS. Mm -hmm. It was an impulsive decision and I had a car note to pay for. Yeah. And I woke up one morning and my options were I can go to Burdines, which some of us still remember Burdines, um, and apply for a job or I could do, do what I used to, what the neighborhood kids used to do, which was rob a house. Yeah. And I looked at myself in the mirror that morning. And I made a conscious decision to do something that was against my 
how I was raised. Mm -hmm. But I decided to rob a house. Um, I actually went to a friend's house, woke him up, walked into his house. He's sleeping on the living room floor. And I said, come on, let's let's go get this money. And, uh, you know, I was the initiator. I had, you know, I, even back then I had influence, but mm -hmm. I wasn't using it in the right yeah. manner. And, you know, two hours later, we're sitting in the back of a police car on the way to jail. <laughs> and, you know, and, and they said this, uh, this is Miami locally or My, Miami. Yeah, Miami here. Miami. Yeah. And. Um, so then they separate us and we're two different cells and I didn't see him and and I felt really bad, you know, like, of course, my situations, you know, sucks, but like I was feeling really bad for my friend and we saw each other on the recreation yard like they they put everybody together. And I said, uh, Frankie, I got one more idea and this one's <laughs> going to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. I got one more idea. We're getting out of here. Yeah, I got one more idea. Jump over that fence right there. I got one more idea. This was gonna work, and I had I had created this plan, and I said, "Look, I'm gonna take the plea, right?" And I I knew I knew I was gonna that mine was gonna move a little bit quicker because there were some other factors involved, and as soon as I do that, Frank, just blame everything on me, and he goes, "Yeah, okay, I'll do that." So he did it, and they let him out. Now, my so I went to prison three times. If I didn't tell you this, you probably wouldn't know. <laughs> I could never tell. Yeah, you, you, like there's no way. You, you, know, you know, and I put a lot of conscious thought into that while I was there. Yeah, you're because I didn't to think. want that for my life. My mother raised me right. I was born into this world with so much love. Mm -hmm. I, I'm of Cuban descent. My father was born in Cuba. My mother's mo mother's was born in Cuba. And there were four generations of women to welcome me into this world. I had so much love. I was spoiled with love. I, I mean, I grew up in a house where my mom used to cut my meat. Like, like it was just like... Little, in front of you in the place. Yeah, yeah, in front of you in the place. So, espera, espera, no está costando bien. Yes, exactly. Like, it was almost like I wasn't going to start eating until... Because, like, that was the thing. Like, um, and you don't know how precious that is until you realize what other people have or the lack thereof mm. right so <clears throat> yeah they're eating with uh, they're eating with plastic knives eating with plastic <laughs> knives or don't have such a loving parent mm. you know my mother was all the love i could have ever asked for like i won the mother lottery i i believe <laughs> right so that's how i feel now zero to seven those are the most important years of a child's life and i had a lot of love my father was young. They were my parents were both young when they had us, and my father w was a functional addict. You know, so he would do his work, he'd do all his stuff, but he was a functional addict. A functional addict? What is that? I've never heard of that. So somebody who can do drugs but still have a functional life. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Right, gotcha. like so. Or a closet drinker who can just drink just enough to have the work to go to work. I had an uncle like that. He used to slam a, a, a shot of bourbon because of the cold, and then he would become a master chef at a New York uh, men's club. You know, literally a, like a, a a business club. Forty years, and yeah. you'd, you'd get out of the subway. People would actually see him. The the the, the bourbon's waiting for them because he does it every day, and it's in the window. And he grabs it. Boom. Is that so? Functional that's, that's how your dad. So my worked. dad wasn't a big drinker. He he would smoke pot, maybe cocaine, you know. Yeah. Um, but not like. Like I've known people who do cocaine will just ride their their lives down this death spiral yeah. very quickly. 
Like it wasn't like that for my father. He like he it, it was almost just like a balancing act for him. Which I you know, I love my father and I love my mother. You know, I love them both. I I just feel Are you in touch with him now? Yeah, I am. Okay. I am. I am. And you know, for a very long while I wasn't speaking with my father. You know, like he came to see me in prison and it was and I was a, I was very angry. I had so much anger in me. And I said, "Pops, the difference between you and I is you had something to prove to your father. I have nothing to prove to you." Right? Like and he had this this proving mentality, you know, and I have a lot of respect for my father's journey and my grandfather's journey. Like my grandfather woke up one day and his business belonged to Fidel Castro. Yeah, man, it's terrible. If it, you know, so like I keep that very close to home because what my family had to do to get me where I am today, like I wasn't present to that growing up. It wasn't as close to my heart as it is now, mm. you know, because I I, I started, I became a self-help junkie because I wanted to free myself of the mental, emotional incarceration. Yeah, and tell us how, how you became, like, the book that you got with a pack of cigarettes. So, <clears throat> I, I know my journey is a little fragmented here, but on my third incarceration, by, the, by, the, by 24, I'm on my way to prison for the third time, okay? Similar, similar crimes, or, no, you, or you've improved no. your crime? <laughs> Yes, exactly. Like, okay, that sucked. And, you know, the moment I was in the police car for robbing that house and the guy who, and it was broad daylight, it was like noon, got home, which he was in the military because I saw his pictures on the wall. He was in the Marines. And he was really pissed off. And I'm saying to myself, if this guy somehow opened this cop car door and beat the crap out of me, I deserve this. Like, I deserve this ass whooping. You know, so on my way to jail, I felt like shit. Well, you know. Can't say that one. Oh, f- felt like uh, f- felt like. No crap. matter. I, 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 don't worry about it. F- okay, that's what that button's for. Oh, okay, okay. Felt like okay. Remember, we're and on so, the radio. Oh, it we're is that. Fa- we're right oh, now. We're oh. live on the radio. So okay, okay. I gotta be. I could say, uh, asshole, because it is one. <laughs> it does exist. But you can't say the F, you can say the S. Okay, can't. okay, okay. All right, all right, got you. All right, so so I I didn't feel good, all right? So, but I I knew at 15, 16, 17 years old by how my life was going and how I was dealing with the emotional turmoil that there was two, two things that were going to happen to me because I lacked discipline. I was either going to end up in the Marines, which I went to see a Marine recruiter, and they told me, look, you, you've got a lot of stuff you've got to deal with you know, f- clean this up and, and, you know, we'll consider taking you. And then, I don't know, six, seven months later, I'm in, in jail. So that didn't happen. But I knew that that was coming. Like, I felt it. And I wanted to dodge the bullet if I could. But what ended up happening is when I went to jail, they were going to let me out on house arrest, which I had already just come back on a violation. But it was a technical violation. I forgot to bring my receipt from shopping. And, and, and they, you know, they... It's like, oh, your probation officer's not here, but we think everything's good. Just go sit in that room. So I go to sit in the room, and it's just a chair. They close the door, and I'm like, all right, this doesn't look good, but let me check the doorknob to to make sh- to confirm my belief. So I went to check the doorknob. It wouldn't open from the inside. So I already know what's happening. I'm on my way to jail. I've already been to jail pl- 10 plus times at, at this time, and I'm eight, I'm 18 years old, and I just got all the money I had in my pocket and I put it in the sole of my shoe. 
because it, they let you keep your shoes in Miami-Dade County Jail at that time. And I knew that this was what I was going to use to buy more food because it really sucks in there. So now I'm in there and they want to let me out on house arrest. At this point, I'm committed to allowing this situation to be as worse as it can for me to get this lesson. So when they said we're going to let you back out on house arrest and actually do the rest of my time on house arrest, I said, no, I don't want to be halfway free. When you let me free, I want to be all the way free. I want to be all the way free. And that's so I ended up doing two years on that first bid. Okay. And that was probably the most. This is whole home invasion again? No, 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 no. So I, okay. So I was at that point, I accepted a plea for a year in jail for robbing a house. But while I was in there, they did uh, like a, uh, an inspection or like whatever they do to run the, the, the mode of operation. And they found out like three weeks earlier that I also robbed the house in the same area. Oh, okay. So you so, got you got the domino effect. So yeah. So so when they came to see me, they're like, "Oh, this is the same mo. We know it's you." And I was like, "No, I don't know what you're talking about." And like, yes. And I was like, "All right, whatever." It was back and forth this whole thing, and I'm already in a in a pickle. Yeah. I already realized, you know, I shouldn't have done this. You know, your life's going down the crapper. You know, I can say that one. Yeah, so <laughs> crap is okay. Okay, okay. And so, so I uh, I commit to making this. I, I want to feel every ounce of this pain because I know that I have escaped it for so long. I had I had probably like seven or eight charges under the age of eighteen, like wow. uh, fighting, strong arm robbery, possession of coke, intent to sell, and I beat all of those charges, all of them. So I knew that I was dodging this bullet. And I had this way of navigating and figuring things out. And then by the time I was 18, it was almost like, okay, you got to pay the piper. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew that this is what that was. This was an inflection point in my life. And I have two choices. I can make my life worse or I can, I can do the work and become a better human. Mm -hmm. Because my mom didn't raise me like that. Yeah. You know, this is not an honorable son. It's not an honorable man. It's not honorable at all what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So I needed to figure my stuff out. So instead of being released on house arrest, I said, I want to do my full time. Just give me time. And when I'm out, I'm out. So they gave me two years. But then I was sent to a, a juvenile uh, prison, which is called Lanc Lancaster Correctional. And here they treat you like uh, you're in the military. So you got to march everywhere. I, I had already been in two fights at this point. You know, one, an older guy and one, one kid my age, a bunch of gold teeth and tattoos everywhere. And now I'm at this juvenile detention center and I, ha have you ever seen the movie Life with Martin Lawrence and Eddie Murphy where they're in prison? Mm -mm. No? Yeah, no, I no. haven't. Well, there's a- It's a, sh it's a shame because I'm an Eddie, I Mur mean, uh, Eddie Murphy fan. You have to watch that movie. It's hilarious. But there's a part in that movie where this big guy, like big mean guy- Yeah, the like, bully. The bully. He's go goes to the other guy. You won't eat that cornbread. <laughs> and, you know, it's like intimidating. So it's like you have two options at that point if you're ever caught in that situation in prison. Like you're going to give the guy your cornbread or face the wrath of this hungry guy pouncing on you, right? <laughs> So I had that same situation, but it wasn't over cornbread. It was over a cookie. But this guy wasn't that big. You know, he's about my size or smaller. So, like, I had two options, like, give him the cookie or punch him in the mouth. So <laughs> I put, punched him in the mouth. I put the cookie in my mouth and I punched him. <laughs> Actually, sometimes you have to do that, right? And yeah, to gain it, respect from yeah, the other. Yeah, from the others. It's, it's not even, it's not even. It, it, you, it's just survival. <laughs> you have to. You have to, with, without a shadow of a doubt, because there's two things that could happen. 
in in those types of scenarios, it's like the animal kingdom. Okay. So like if somebody comes to take something from you Mm. and you give it to them and I'll, I'll just throw this out there. I have nothing to like one race or another. I'm just telling you my experience. It's, it's almost like 70 to 80% African-American and then followed by Hispanics and then Americans are like the minority. So Americans think, in most cases, if I give it to them, they'll leave me alone, which is not the case. Hispanics, they'll, they, you know, African-Americans know most Cubans and Puerto Ricans will stab you, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's just known. And then African-Americans, they, 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 they would, at least in, in my experience, uh, the majority of my fights, and I am, have nothing against any race, color, creed, or anything like this that. This is but, the animal kingdom. Right, but I, it, most of my... Uh, fights were with African Americans, and it's and it's it's because I look white. I'm, I'm Cuban, but I look white, so mm-hmm. I look like an easy target. Yeah. So when he asked me for the cookie, I I said to myself, man, I just finished fighting in the other institution. I just got to this institution. This is the worst part of being at this place because you have to sit on the floor. They treat you like crap, and then you go to another phase. So you're in this this one phase for two weeks. And this is how, like, they weed out the really bad people. And here I am probably going to end up one of those bad people because I'm fighting within my first two weeks. But let me not let me pretend like I don't hear him and maybe he'll leave me alone. And so I just put my face forward and I walk right past him. And then he just taps me on my side. So then I look at him, like, give him the crazy look, like, are you serious? And he's like, exact words. Don't look at me like that. Beep, beep, beep. And I I was like, all right. So I just put the cookie in my mouth. And since I had my hand up, up already, I just hit him and then jumped in the grass. So now I'm like having this, not yelling match, but just yelling a bunch of crazy, oh, obscene things. When you things. say in the grass, it means the guards are, are going to grab you right away? No. So the, 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 the sergeant is over there. Yeah. So like you, you leave the chow hall. Okay, and and the reason why I have my cookie outside of the chow hall is because it in this detention center, they do everything they can to break you, your spirit. And so, like, if they say row one, get up, throw your food away, you you have to throw your food away. So, like, what I would do is I would eat all the food that I couldn't put in my pockets first. (laughs) And then the cornbread, the cookie, all that stuff would go in my pocket. I'm not throwing anything out. Yeah. But I already saw what happens to two people that didn't get up and they stayed eating like the officer just strolled by grabbed them by the 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 shirt and just threw them on the floor so i was like all right i don't want to be that guy so i just put the the cookie in my pocket i'm walking out past the sergeant and now this is happening and i'm yelling these things and then the sergeant says hey inmate get over here so now I'm walking. I'm still chewing my cookie he sees i'm <laughs> chewing the cookie so so you stealing food out the chow hall oh boy, boy. And I didn't say anything. And then the officer that's ahead of the dorm is like, yeah, he just got here from Miami. If you're from Miami, you got a one check mark. If you're Hispanic, another check mark. So they see on my badge, I have, you know, Hispanic <laughs> last name. So he says to me, he says, and it's in straight redneck fashion, he's like, do you have a problem with black people? Oh, and I says, sir, no, sir. So why are you calling that boa bad words? Yeah, because that's because when I hit him, then I started to yell a bunch of crazy things. And 
And mind you, I would never use that word that that was disrespectful. And I'm just in a totally different. I'm not even a conscious human at this point. Yeah, like I am yeah, just yeah. acting. Yeah, the survival most, animal. Yeah. Survival, 100. percent And right now, at 18 years old, all I know about prison is what I saw in the movies. So like, this, like it's me or him, and it's definitely not going to be me. Yeah. So this is my cookie. I'm going to eat it, and you're going to eat my fist. So, <laughs> so the officer says, "Get down and give me 25 push-ups, boy." And I, at this point, I could do 100 push-ups straight, no problem. So I'm eating these push-ups all day. Sir one, sir, sir two, sir, sir three, sir, sir four, sir, sir five. So I get back in line, and then we have to march. So I have to march right next to this guy all the way back to the dorm. So now we're back at the dorm. His friend comes over. I say, hey, if your buddy wants to bump, let's go to the mop closet. He's like, Chico, he's straight. We're, he's good. You mean to fight? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, if, yeah, so in there, they call it bump or throw hands or whatever. Yeah. So... But I already didn't like him for that because, mm-hmm. you know, he was a bully. Yeah. But then three months later, me being crazy, now we're gambling and I'm gambling against him. So I have a partner and then there's, there's two here. And then, you know, like I was winning and then they started winning back to back to back to back. And then this was like a Saturday night. So we get to stay up a little bit later. And uh, when I got it from the table, they're from... Orlando, this guy is from Tampa. He has he's not even in the game. He said, Chico, when you got up, they were throwing signs across the table, meaning they were cheating. So I didn't tell them anything. I just kept playing. And I'm losing, I'm losing, I'm losing, I'm losing. But in my mind, I already know what's up. So I said, Come by my bunk, I'll give you three dollars, I'll give you the rest tomorrow. Uh-huh. Food in um in pr- uh, food in prison is currency. Yeah. You know, cigarettes is currency, food, uh, soups, chips. So he comes by, I give him that. But now in my mind, I'm like, all right, I'm getting out of this prison. I already wanted to get out of this prison. I had a, I, I'll, I'll leave another story for another time, but I had already tried to get out of there, not escape, but through another means and it didn't work. So I'm like, I'm getting out of here and this guy's going to face the wrath of cheating. And I hit him with a lock like three times. And no, where do you get a lock? Well, you get the lock because you have a locker. So it's the only. It's <laughs> probably that's the dangerous thing, man. It is. It that's could, a heavy. So you, that's get, a, so you got yourself in trouble again. I want to know the pivotal moment where you you got yourself into personal development. Oh, I'm gonna get to that. Okay. Okay. So, so, because this is where that began. Okay. Because, so when I hit him with the lock, then they're like, okay, you're too dangerous for open population. Oh. You're even too dangerous for this institution. We are reclassifying you as an adult. So now we're sending to an adult institution and you're going to go to where all the bad adults are. So not only was I not in open population anymore, I was sent to a, a an institution where you have violent offenders. So now here I am, belly shackled with uh, the chain that goes down to the shackles on the legs and I'm being escorted into a dorm and now I'm being catcalled like I'm Beyonce. Wow. Like... And, and, and I'm talking about I'm 165 pounds soaking wet. Now, my internal monologue is like, you really fuck, you really did it now. You really did it now. But I, I there another button. Oh, darn it. All right. All right. All right. So now I'm sitting in the cell and I've already fought so much. But at the same time, I'm tired. I hadn't slept in five days. I'm sweaty. Haven't taken a shower. They didn't let me take a shower in five days. Mm-hmm. And... I have no time to think about self-development at this point. It's yeah. me, it's merely just survival. 
You know, and this guy's yelling on the door, hey, 207, I'm coming for you, 207. I didn't even know it was incel 207 because I'm in a daze for traveling for like five days in different institutions, no no air conditioning here in Florida. And then I go to the door and I, okay, so that's 201, 202, 203, 224. That's 206 in the corner, which means I'm at 207. <laughs> and you know what I do? I start doing jumping jacks. I start doing jumping jacks and push-ups because... I'll be damned if I'm not ready. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is when the, the, the pivotal moment began. Because mm -hmm. now they've reclassified me as an adult. I am now in the absolute worst place to be in a Department of Corrections in the state of Florida, which is closed management, mm -hmm. meaning my custody level is closed. So I, I'm not even allowed in open population. It's closed management two. The only thing worse than closed management two is closed management one. So closed management two means... I am sharing a, a cell with somebody else, 24-7 lockdown. They feed me through a flap in the door, and I only take three showers a week. <gasps> so I am, I am in this situation for a whole year. Oh, my God. So now I created rituals for myself so I don't go crazy. You know, in, in, the, matter, in the span of a year, I had 16 different cellmates. Five wow. of them had life sentences. Wow. One of them had HIV. I ended up fighting one. Almost fought another. Um, and it, and think about it. Like, you're in a cell where it's locked. You can't, you, there's no way to open it. That's yeah. a hell of a fight. That's one heck of a fight. Mm -hmm. that, and chances are they've seen it before, so they're going to let it go for a little bit. Yeah, you know, in the case that I was fighting this guy, they, they, they did, you know, stop it relatively quick. They didn't let it keep going. Um, but the self-development began there. Like, one, I was just like, okay. Mm -hmm. This really sucks, you know. You're, and 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 I didn't, and I thank God, I really do, and it's by the grace of God that I can have this conversation without this energetic charge of being this, that, or the other thing. Because I didn't blame anyone. It wasn't my mother. It wasn't my father. It wasn't the system. It wasn't. It wasn't any of that. It was me, mm -hmm. and I stared this ugly filth that I had created in the face. And I, I started asking myself some really pointed questions. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, how did you get here? Mm -hmm. what, you know, do you want this Take, for you? Taking full responsibility for this can only This can only get worse. Yes. A hundred percent ownership of my current circumstances is what I took. So I, I read the Bible cover mm -hmm. to cover. It took me three months. I read every nonfiction book I can get my hands on. I studied the dictionary. I would learn 20 new vocabulary words a week and learn to use them in proper context. You know, it, it, was, a, it was a matter of me taking the situation and distilling what I could out of it to provide myself a better future. Mm. So that was my first incarceration. Now, since I'm hard-headed, I got out, I'm strong, I went through hell, and I'm making a life for myself. But I still believe that I could surround myself with people I didn't belong with, going to places I probably shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And just those two things led to a fight in South Beach mm -hmm. where I got hit with a bottle. The guy ran. I caught up to him. I beat him up. And I went back to prison. And it wasn't even my fight. It was my friend's fight. We just came out of a club in South Beach. He's like, I'm going to pop off on this guy. I'm like, David, who? And, he, and I didn't even know who he was talking about. I said, go to the alley. It's July 4th, 2003. Cops are everywhere. Like, you yeah. know, and I, I, hit the I hit the corner and he's fighting the guy in the middle of the street. 
And then I see that he's with this guy, and I throw up my hands because I think this guy's going to want to fight. He doesn't want to fight. He's with the girl. I turn around, and I don't. to this day, I don't know if it was him or the girl, but Someone hit they you. threw the bottle, and it was like 10 feet away. So they had like they had aim. like They had a <laughs> yeah, really good aim, yeah. and the bottle didn't break. Like It hit my head, and ping, 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 but it, it really pissed me off. And then, you know, like, it was just a bad night. And, you know, I got a letter from that friend um, and, and 50 bucks. So I was like, okay, this sucks again. Um, so in other words, now you've crossed your parole. You broke your parole. Well, I wasn't on parole because remember the first oh, you time. you finished it. I, f- I finished my. But you son- couldn't get back in trouble, obviously. Well, they have the whole habitual offender thing, but since they were unrelated, one was robbing house, the other one was a fight. It wasn't like, it wasn't like my my sentence was amplified as a result of that. It was just two unrelated incidents, and yeah, they had the same charges practically. Assault has the same charges home rob- as home robbery, right? Well, no, they're they're both felonies, but they're treated differently. They're they're treated differently, and I had a great attorney. You know, but like while I was fighting my case, I knew, you know, and then like I went to go see him and he's like, watch this. He gave me a VHS thing and I put it in there. And now I am watching as I fight this guy. Like I am and I'm watching yourself on video. Watching myself on video. Yes, because unbeknownst to me and everybody I was with that night, there were tourists behind my car that watched me stop the car, get out, punch this guy, and then fight him in the middle of the street. Wow. And this was all recorded. Yeah. And at that point, like, my heart sunk in my stomach, and then I was just like, I told I told my attorney, man, if you can get me three years, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, because, like, I, I just, I, like, I, it was just, there were, it was nothing. Like, there was, it was just, like, it was bad. Yeah. So I cleaned up my life or in the process of and now I'm 22 years old. I'm coming from Cutler Cutler Ridge, which now is Cutler Bay, going to South Beach and uh, had a few drinks. And I'm on the turnpike uh, where the turnpike meets the 836. You got 107 A Street. There's two hills. And while I was at the top of the first hill, there's a sign obstructing the top of the second hill. And... I'm going about 80 miles per hour, paying attention to the sides of the road for Florida Highway Patrol. And by the time I get to the top of the second hill, I rear-ended a vehicle going 83 miles per hour. And um, Blindly, just boom! Just, I didn't see it to this day. I don't know if they were even moving, you know. Um, uh, and so... I was driving a Mitsubishi Diamante. They were driving a Toyota Highlander and... And since I was coming on an incline, so my bumper hit the underside of their bumper. The velocity sent their vehicle turning. There were three people in that vehicle. The two people in the front had their seatbelts. The passenger in the back didn't. And when the car was rolling, she was ejected from the vehicle. And um, and it was it it was a really bad uh, night, July 10, 2004. And I, um, I, I, so when I came to, my vehicle was like a sardine. Uh, the airbag had blown. The seatbelt kept me in place. And 
now my vehicle's facing a totally different direction. There's smoke billowing from the engine. And I pay attention to the, the highway. It's 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, to make sure no more cars are coming. And there's a body in the shoulder. And I run over to her. And there's this man sobbing over her. And I put my arm around him. I said, she's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. And she wasn't. So I was subsequently charged with DUI manslaughter and um, went back to prison for four years, three months. Wow. All right, and let's make the leap to five million dollars. I mean, we <laughs> need we need the we need what, the four million dollar story. So you know what a what a story and and what um to see where you're at now and and the impact that you're creating. You know, I I mean, I'm so proud of like how far you've come and you were able to literally change your life around. And now, you're actually every Thursday you you give three hours of your time to kids and juvenile. Uh, prison because he wants to make sure these kids don't make the same make, uh, mistakes he made. Mm. So um, can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yes. So every Thursday uh, for about three hours, I donate my time to a juvenile detention center in Broward County on um, providing them the a vantage point that would empower them as mm-hmm. opposed to dis- like coming from a disempowered because Mm -hmm. the stigma of being a convicted felon the stigma of you know being uh you know categorize something in society where you're less than or you're not worthy to vote or you're not able to you know carry a gun and all of these other things i i what i really just go in there and tell them is like guys look i'm not here to preach to you i'm not even like yes maybe you can learn something but i'm not a teacher i'm just here to show you what's possible if you apply yourself Mm. you know warren buffett elon musk these guys cannot buy what you have which which is is time time. so what are you going to do with it if you could fast forward five years into the future of your most ideal self who is that guy who does he hang out with what does he read what music does he listen to to help provide them just like a perspective that's different than their current circumstance mm. and i'll tell you how i got there in two and when i was 26 years old i bought a book with a pack of cigarettes while incarcerated i bought awakening the giant within by tony robbins at this point i didn't have a positive male role model mm-hmm. and i knew i needed one so when i bought his book with a pack of cigarettes i did everything that book told me to do and more than that tony inspired me mm-hmm. tony like he inspired me as like like this masculine man that had a successful relationship from what I could tell. He had a business that was impacting other people's lives and he genuinely cared about humanity. And these are all things that, that are a part of my value system. Mm-hmm. Now, the challenge is like, wow, you have all of this mess as my formative years, but really my mess then became my message, mm-hmm. right? Like hurt people, hurt people Mm -hmm. and a lot of times we judge people and we label them but people are not their behavior Mm -hmm. it's a symptom and although it was a lot of craziness my younger years it was actually a cry for help yeah absolutely what do you um you're a very passionate person you know by the way express yourself but the way you live your life now what you're committed to and your growth and all that stuff um what moves you and what's your why? Excellent question. <laughs> My why is I, 
since I have a very uh, intimate understanding of what prison is, um, I my ultimate wish is that people understand like true freedom in the sense that like freedom from mental prisons, Mm. emotional prisons, relational prisons, even your workplace can be a prison. Mm -hmm. So like, and, and I say this and I, and I said this in my TEDx talk before I actually arrived to physical incarceration, like, Hatred and resentment became the foundations of the cell that incarcerated my soul long before I had had the physical manifestation. So I had to become physically incarcerated to become spiritually liberated. Mm. And I reached a certain level of liberation while incarcerated that was unattainable for me at that time and my level of consciousness. Mm. So for me to have attained that in the most un, uh, you know, you just wouldn't think that, but like I got to a point where I got so angry and I couldn't change the fact that I'm here Mm. and they were messing with my mind and Mm -hmm. they had my body, but Mm. I said, you know what? They can't touch your spirit. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. You just gave me goosebumps (laughs) saying that. Um, No, what's really amazing to me other than the obvious that you've explained so well mm-hmm. is that someone else was being touched too because that book was available for cigarettes meaning mm-hmm. that book was roaming around the prison yes. so you could you ever find out who originally had the book or because that would all, all be a source of inspiration one that day would be amazing yeah yeah i've thought long and hard about that and i because the, the book and then becoming a wonder drug for the entire prison as it circulates with inspiring hopefully people gravitate like you do because you're a very inarticulate person, and I would have never known coming into the studio this morning that this is what was going to evolve. It's mm. very, very cool. Mm. This is called Meta Meta. Okay, meta, so. Meta Meta. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm, I'm very proud of you, man. That's yeah. a hell of a. One hell of a story, that's yeah. for sure. So <clears throat> what is one powerful question that you've, you've had to ask yourself, a powerful question you've had to ask yourself that has shaped your life to a positive way? Okay, so Tony Robbins teaches that we all have what's called a primary question. Mm. And a primary question, whether you're conscious of it or not, is something that is always asked in the periphery, in the subconscious. Like if you were always desiring the attention of your mother or your Mm. father, whichever Mm. parent you were seeking most love from, you could have created a primary question. Do they love me? Mm. Or uh, does this person like me? Mm. And you, you create this pattern And then this is what kind of governs your life. Now, while incarcerated, my primary question was, how can I find meaning in Mm, this? mm. And that being my primary question, and Tony also teaches about the reticular activating system. Mm. You know, you just buy a a white Maserati and you now notice how many other white Maseratis are out in the street because now you're turned on. You now you start to see more of them mm. but that's that's how the brain works so how can i find meaning in this started to allow me the ability although painful mm. and some would classify as traumatic i started to be able to distill the wisdom that was packaged in these scenarios okay. so i prayed there was one prayer that i said ceaselessly 
I'm, I was raised a Christian. I believe in God. And I, by the grace of God, I'm having this conversation with you guys, mm -hmm. you know, and having went through what I went through. And I believe the only way that I can explain how I came out relatively unscathed is by God. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I prayed for is that I prayed for that God strengthened me mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I say, I said that prayer ceaselessly in my first incarceration. Now, had I known I, I would probably have to go through all of the other stuff to have attained that, I'm not sure how fervently I would have said that prayer. Mm. But one of the things that I always say is some of the gifts that you ask for don't always arrive in the packages you would want. Yeah, exactly. Or, 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 the, or there's a lot of things we ask for that we don't get what we want. Mm -hmm. Then we finally get them and we no longer need them. And that's the message. You yeah. never needed it. So Yes, that's so powerful. So um, we're nearing here to the hour of, of this interview. It's been so amazing to well, have Well, we could go to extra time. This is good, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have so many projects going on, and one of them is uh, the Meta V Group. So um, what's your mission for the Meta V Group? What is the Meta V Group? Um, what are you looking to do and create with it? Great question. Thank you for asking. So impact is my currency mm. at this moment. Like at, at this stage of my life, Having gone through what I went through, I really want people to reach this level of freedom to be free from addiction, free from from these these incarcerations that we sometimes inadvertently accept as our passage. So with Meta V Group, social impact is at its core. We want to impact 10,000 kids life here in Miami. We're going to fo focus 100% of the social impact here in Miami and a thousand immigrant families. We want to provide them education, resources, and tools so that, that they have the highest probability of succeeding here in, in the United States. I'm a son of an immigrant. The other two founders are also immigrants as well. Mm -hmm. So what MetaV Group is, is we are a self-selecting NFT-enabled community, mm -hmm. which what that really means is we, we are all aligned with the vision of a future where it's safe, it's inclusive, you have your freedoms, your data, privacy, and things of that sort. Because right now we are at a very important moment in the development of technology. Mm. So we could have like the Facebooks of Metaverse, mm -hmm. or we could have an open, inclusive, safe environment for our children to go and learn. So mm -hmm. MetaV Group is really four things. One, we have a digital and physical art gallery here in Miami that we're going to use selling art to sustain ourselves. Two, we're going to do live events, virtual events, events in the metaverse mm -hmm. on sales, marketing, automations, most ideal tech stack for your business. If you're an entrepreneur and you have a viable business plan, if you have a good marketing strategy, you understand sales, you know how to set up automations, and you have a, a good tech stack, you should be able to handle your business. And our thesis is, if we can help entrepreneurs thrive, they're going to hire more people. Mm -hmm. It's good for the business. It's great for the economy. Absolutely. And everything is, is going to do well. Third, why do any of this if we're not going to have fun? So yeah. we'll have yacht parties yeah. <laughs> like you did the other day with your epic talks inner circle inner yeah. circle <laughs> which you know i heard was amazing yeah so like we i don't want it to just be about work 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 like let's have fun let's let's enjoy ourselves let's connect mm -hmm. on a deeper level so that this way it just makes makes things gel even more so it was, it's those three things 
and then baking the social impact component. A, a portion of our profits we are allocating to the social impact here locally. Mm, I love that. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. I'm so excited that we recently met and um, I, I, I believe that our mission and our values and our vision for our companies are very much aligned, which is the reason why I think we hit it off uh, right the second we met. Um, and, and, and I'm excited to see what we get to create uh, together. So amazing. I want to thank you for your time. But before we end this, uh, this amazing interview, when you are no longer here, what is one word you would want humanity to use to describe who you are? Inspiration. 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 I love that. It's really, there's, I, I don't feel that there is anything more powerful to move humanity forward than inspired action, mm. right? Like Tony inspired me mm. um, and I seek to, to be an inspiration for these young men mm -hmm. and hope to, you know, put myself around people that inspire me. Absolutely. I love that. So for everyone listening out there right now, this is w WSQF 94.5 FM radio. If you are looking to join a community of leaders, community of people who are inspiring others in this world, if you're looking to join a community of entrepreneurs or if you're looking for guidance, make sure you guys attend the next Epic Talks. You can find out information on Epic Talks, which is the number one business networking event in South Florida. Every single month we have over 150 entrepreneurs, business professionals who attend this amazing um, event and we have leaders and, and uh, educators that come and, and uh, educate the community of entrepreneurship, NFTs, crypto, real estate and don't miss out. It's the last Wednesday of the month. May 25th is the next one at 7 p.m. and once again we are here at WSQF 94.5 FM radio and have a beautiful rest of your day bye everyone bye everyone